0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 249 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. A sack of mares and foals. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Kentucky Performance Products. You can visit them at kppusa.com and Horse Quencher. You can find them at horsequencher.com.
1: Bringing the news through hell, high water while using
2: their
3: tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop cause
2: It's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable
1: Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Coach Jen, and you're listening to Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Jennifer. Hey, long time no see. How you been?
0: since about two minutes ago when I closed my door. (laughs) Well, Jennifer, as you know... Can I
1: get a door, please? I can't (laughs) close my door.
0: Jennifer, as you know, is the host of uh, Horse Tip Daily and producer of the morning show at Horses in the Morning and is filling in for Helena today who had to run off. She had uh, an appointment this morning. She ran
1: screaming from her room.
0: That's right. Uh, but uh, before we get into the show, we have a couple of guests lined up for today and some good information for you. But before we get into that, we did, we're we recording this on Tuesday morning, and we just want to give our best to everybody out in the, the Midwest and Oklahoma. Uh, actually, Jamie, the host of the morning show, her in-laws live in Norman, Oklahoma, which is just south of where the the tornadoes hit. Mm-hmm. And they are fine. They were in their shelter, and, and they are fine, although she told us that... They, some of their neighbors don't have shelters and they come over and they had 17 people in this little six by eight shelter. So, Yeesh. but everybody was okay. And, uh, you know, if that, you,
1: that gives a new, a new uh, take on safety and numbers. Hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know, so there were stories of some of the people who were, who had underground shelters that the doors were ripped off and, you know, but they were glad they had them at, uh, yesterday and, in out there and our best to everybody. There were a lot of, uh, people hurt and injured and killed, and also horses and animals of all sorts. So uh, our thoughts and prayers to everybody out there. I know we have a lot of listeners in that area, so uh, we're, we're thinking the best for them. Well, today we are going to go on with the show. We have uh, planned today a couple of interviews that you set up, actually, Jennifer. So it's, it's, it's uh, convenient that you're actually going to be on the show today. Yeah,
1: I've, I've been a busy camper. Alan, is it Julie, you think? I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Jewel, J-U-E-L-L, and he goes by Andy, Andy? so he does, yes. Uh, how do you get Andy out of Allen? We'll have to ask him.
0: <laughs> and judging by the emails you've sent me about the conversations and his book cover, I think that this is going to be a lively conversation.
1: Yeah, we're going to sit back and relax. This yes. is what, his
0: book is called Mares, Foles, and Ferraris, and he says... It says, uh, one of the descriptions was, currently available through Amazon.com or any retail book outlet, uh, trionics.com to be up shortly. I guess that's another book he's doing. We'll have to ask him about that. It says, alfalfa flavored and semi-edible in a desperate moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's about his book. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking to him about Maris, Foles, and Ferraris and his life. He sounds like he's had a fascinating life and he's a fascinating guy. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk to him a lot about that. I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, get some stories out of him. And the next up is uh, one of our listeners recommended this, didn't they, uh, for our Attack and Habit segment today?
1: Absolutely. I really can't take credit for this one. I, I sent the emails, but one of our listeners over on the Horses in the Morning Show, Colleen, turned us on to this lady by the name of Teresa King, and she has a little company called Upcycled, upcycled Sacks. Is that, is that right? Yeah,
0: Upcycled Sacks.
1: And it's upcycledsax.com. It's not a sexy
0: name, I have to say, by the way. I thought
1: it was kind of clever. <laughs> but um, she takes feed bags, and most of us are familiar with the newfangled feed bags they use nowadays are not made of paper anymore. They're made of this stuff that's sort of, it almost reminds me of a blue tarp that you would cover something up with.
0: It's kind of and- plasticky.
1: Yeah, and you'll note that many of the feed companies put beautiful graphics on the front. You know, it's all about uh, shelf space. They have beautiful pictures of horses and pretty colors. And she takes these sacks and makes them into useful containment devices for all sorts of things. Everything's from wallets to shopping bags to take to the market with you to – messenger bags that you might put your laptop in. And I'm very excited to talk to her uh, later on in the show today. And I'm hoping that if I'm extra super nice to her, she'll get me one of those sacks because they're really cool.
0: (laughs) And you know, this is a fascinating woman, too. I mean, she was a high powered executive and now lives on this farm. And uh, where is she at? She's in um, she moved to Aiken, South Carolina. And she's got a menagerie of animals and, and, you know, went into this business using recycled products. So I'm sure we're going to get some stories from her, too. So it, She's got you know.
1: horse-eating turkeys from another planet. And she's a, yeah. she's a fox hunter
0: and uh, has done jumpers and also is a polo player. So... She she has done a little bit of everything and we're gonna we're gonna chat with her about that. Uh before we get to our first guest today, uh and and uh his name is Alan Jewell. T- tell us about uh, one of our sponsors that uh our horse beaker really loves, and that's Horse Quencher.
1: Yeah, we love Horse Quencher. Beaker has a big yellow bag of horse quencher out there in the feed room, and horse quencher is one of those products that you do not realize you need it until you have it. It's kind of like the iPhone that way. You didn't know you wanted an iPhone until you got one and said, oh my God, how do I live without it? Um, and it is, I call it Kool-Aid for horses. It is not an electrolyte. It is not designed specifically to replace the electrolytes in your horse's system, although it does contain electrolytes. Um, it's designed to um, add a flavor and texture to the water, when you put it in there so that your horse drinks the water so you can lead a horse to water and the folks at horse quencher can make them drink
0: and beaker never liked to drink water when he'd go away even for trail rides that were a couple hours yeah
1: and, and, it, he and it, that's important because whenever we go out it's generally hot we live in florida and by the time we trailer to the trailhead ride all afternoon and then ride back and all that, it would be five, six, seven hours of very warm weather, even though he wasn't sweating a lot, that he had no water intake. So for my own peace of mind and his health, it was very important that he drank at least something. And um, this was very effective. Using electrolytes in feed is not an option for him. He does not get grain for his for health reasons. And this is a fantastic. I put the measured amount into a little bucket of water, fill it up, stir it around for about 10 seconds. And he dives right in there and sucks it dry.
0: He hears you coming with that bag, and he comes over. I mean, he he's, wants yeah. his water.
1: <laughs> he thinks he thinks he's getting grain. He, he behaves the same way as most horses would when you rattle a feed a pail of feed. He his little ears prick and he prick up, and he he nickers and he says, "Give it to me now." So he he loves his horse quencher. It's a very effective product.
0: And every horse, even good drinkers, go through spells, whether they're not feeling well or whatever it is when they're traveling, uh, that they, they aren't drinking enough. Well, you can uh, solve that by keeping some horse quencher around at all times. And, That's right. Yep. So you will find them at horsequencher.com. Take a look for them at your local tack shop or feed store as well. Horsequencher.com. Well, our first guest here. His name is Alan Jewell. He, uh, according to his bio, he's done a little bit of everything. He's a writer. He's traveled. Uh, he's worked. Uh, uh, he's worked as a farrier, a farm manager. He uh, he wandered. He says uh, wandering most of the world's ha- habitable. Ha- I can't even say that word. habitable habitable. continents and uh, questionable bars. He holds a degree in history and sometimes attempts to further confuse the world's problems. So he's just a guy who obviously has a sense of humor. Oh, and he was a bus driver before he went to work on the farm as well. But uh, this book, Mares, Foals, and Ferraris, we're going to find out what it's all about uh, with the author of that book, Alan Jewell. Well, hi, Andy, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. Well, nice to be here. Well, you know, we're we're glad to have you on today. When I read uh when I read the back cover of the book, first of all it made me want to buy the book. Uh that's the first thing. And of course the book is called Mayors, Foals and Ferraris. But before we get to that you have a very, had led a very interesting life. I thought Jennifer and I had done a few things in life, but nothing compared to you. I love the one description on uh, the back of the, on your bio that says, wandering most of the world's habitable continents and questionable bars. So you've gotten around a little, huh? <laughs> yes, I have. It, uh, well, I was, it was pretty
2: much, uh, in one place until I, oh, about 1988. I managed a thoroughbred farm up in Washington, Seattle area, and also had a business as a farrier. And I had an accident in, oh, about '88. There was spinal surgery and some different things, but it was the end of both of those in the short term. And I'd always been a rider. Of sorts, I wrote my first book when I was eight, and no, it wasn't a bestseller <laughs> and so i it was sort of a point in life where if there's things you want to do, you better do them because to start another career and to head off in some direction, uh you know your dreams generally get put to the side, and so basically, I sold out everything, I bought a motor home, and I hit the road, not knowing where exactly I was going or what, but I was going to write. And I set up a number of contracts and and obligations and things with different magazines, and I just began traveling, first up and down the West Coast, then further East, and then finally it took me overseas quite a bit. And um, at that time in publishing, you could do quite a bit in freelance and sort of stay alive. You weren't going to, you know... You weren't going to be buying a Lexus, but you could stay on the road and do what you wanted to do, and that's kind of how it began.
0: Yeah, because you wrote for many magazines, Washington Thoroughbred, Equist, Chronicle, The Horse, Western Horseman, Thoroughbred yeah. Times, yeah. Yes,
2: quite quite a few, actually. It was a different marketplace back then, really. It was Yeah, uh, when you could actually make ne-
0: money doing it. Um, well, yes, yeah, and it
2: was not really pre-internet, <laughs> but it was pre-internet everything, and... So, um, yes, newspapers and magazines were hungry for copy, and I tended to always sort of look at the odd stories. They all had a horse in them, but in many cases, I'd be looking for the odd angles of things.
0: Is that just your personality? or? Yes.
2: Well, some could call it a defect, but Yes. <laughs>
1: We I didn't you say and I it was same... <laughs> not a defect, did we? We did not say <laughs> yes. I think you and I <laughs> no, had the I same did.
0: defect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because, you know, to me it's, you know, there's a hundred ways to write about dressage or there's a, this and that, but there's always a little sidebar going on in things. And um, those were the kind of stories that I would seek out. But then again, I'd have to do a lot of straight reporting, especially for the Chronicle and other things, to sort of keep gas in the tank. And, but I would plan it ahead to try to find these other stories that were out there. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Huh.
2: And then they got really interesting when it, I started going overseas because from the time I was a child, I guess, I was always a closet geographer. I was in love with maps and other places and uh, perhaps a bit of an escapist.
0: Well, now, what brought you back to the—you're in the Northwest, right? Uh, what brought you back to the Northwest?
2: I think California just lost its charm. But uh, partly, too, I had had some continuing health issues. And um, in California, it just became distracting to me. I had a second book I wanted to finish, so I decided to come up to—I'm up in Port Orford, Oregon, which is— uh, almost like living on mars but
1: well, thus the lack of distractions because there's nothing there. Is that it? Is that kind yeah, of how it exactly yeah,
2: and and so we've we've got the second book it's at the publishers now and uh it's novel and so that should be coming out in about july or so but i just needed a i'm a very restless person you know i have no cement in my shoes and so uh I should probably be fitted with a shock collar if I was ever in a situation where I needed to stay
0: somewhere.
1: No, no, no. We don't we don't buy into the whole shock collar thing. We'll we'll find you a trainer with a clicker and a treat pouch. We're gonna go with that. Ah, okay.
0: That's what Jennifer did with me. <laughs> I, Andy. I like I like the treat pouch. Yeah, thing. that's what works for me too. Yeah, here's a piece of chocolate. Yeah, you, you sit and stay and work for another hour. <laughs> sure,
2: you know you smoked oysters and brie or something, and I, you know, and I'll, I'll stick
0: around. But now you, uh, you were before you went on the great adventure. You said you were in thoroughbreds. Were are you? You got back into thoroughbreds then? Well, no,
2: but okay. thoroughbreds have always been my love.
0: Uh, I've been away
2: from horses completely for about oh six seven years, and. Uh, it's kind of where I began, and the book explains a, l-
0: is this a little this, bit of my let's convoluted get to the, history. Okay, let's get to the book. Is it an autobiography or just a loose autobiography?
2: I'd say it's a it's a loose autobiography. Okay, um, you know I put the book out as fiction because quite a bit of it is, but then, uh, you know, I op- often wonder if there is any real fiction because really what we create comes out of our own experiences and our own consciousness, really. And But there was a couple things I wanted to do with the, the book in the beginning. One, one, it's a serialization of the original columns, but I put in a running storyline. But the other thing I wanted to talk about in it was why kids run away to live with animals. And it's kind of a touchy subject in some ways, but I've seen it so much out there and it's a lot in my, basically my own story as well. You know, that's, that's basically the undercurrent that's running through it. Because I know later in my life, I ran into so many kids in the show world and other areas and too that, that had basically lost trust in humans. And the road back to trust happened to have four legs and a tail. And I thought it was a story that needed to be, be told.
1: So in the um in the, the the in your story, Mary's Foles and Ferraris, is this more of a is is the plot entirely about the who, what, where, why, and when of this person you, their journey, or is there an underlying who done it factor?
2: No, I I'd say it's it's more of an underlying story of... It, I had a very unusual childhood, and that's probably putting it mildly, but it's, it's basically is more of a journey back to try to get back to a point of trust with humans. And it sounds kind of strange coming from an adult, but we were all kids once and we all remain those kids inside of us somewhere. And, Some of
1: us more so uh, than others, got it, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, for a child, you know, broken trust is, is a big deal because we are in a world of giants when we're kids, and we are at the whim of those giants. And it's not meant to condemn any actions or anything, but to explain how you can go from feeling the victim to understanding that it was just mere circumstances. Mm-hmm. and. The horse has played a big role in that for me, and I'm sure it has for other kids, too. I've met many kids on the road over the years that uh, I've talked with and told me stories and explained why they are in the world they are now. Uh-huh. So it's 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 you know it's kind of a salute, too, to the horse world for creating this environment. A lot of people look at it so often, you know, the money, the egos, this and that, and the other thing. But, you know, I wrote a piece in the Chronicle, I think in in 88, that dealt with the the notion of trainers as far more than just trainers.
0: Well, we always joke, we we, we joke about them also being babysitters and guardians and mom and dad. And, you know, Jennifer and I had a big uh, boarding stable for a long time. And, uh, you know, those teenagers pretty much were our kids because they got dropped off and left there from the time they got off of school till they went home at dark. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so we know exactly what you're talking about because those kids grew up with us, and we still talk to a, a lot of them today, yeah, you it's know, 20 amazing. years some, later.
1: Some of those kids were mm-hmm. 35 years old. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, it's often overlooked
2: in the horse world that, you know, there's a lot of mentorship that goes on. And, you know, the idea of—and it forces a kid, too, to step outside of themselves. They now have to be responsible for this animal, and it sort of takes them out of themselves. You know, I, I, I think it's kind of a wonderful thing, and that part's just, you know, not often talked about.
0: Well, that's been a big discussion, so I really actually. wanted to— Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to have a little fun with this book. Um, there's a lot of humor in it you know but i also wanted to tell that underlying story in a way that was not vindictive or whiny that's <laughs> <I guess laughs> the best word i
0: could say well you know humor yeah. can couch a lot of things which is uh w- which is the better way to go i think and still get the the message across what uh, cuz nobody wants to be preached to either so you know that's no, you know not that's, at all. that's where i think humor can help uh it can help you preach in a way that uh, people aren't aren't uh Are feeling like they've been beat over the head, you know. Getting back to the 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 teens topic there, what we were just talking about. So many of the Olympic old old timers now, uh, you know, we've had this discussion on the air here uh, with several of them about how they feel that that kids are getting away from that a little bit. They're being dropped off, and instead of being at the barn from time school ends till you know dark. They're being dropped off for their hour lesson, the horse is tacked up, they get on the horse, they get off the horse, and they go home. It's more like a swim lesson. And they're losing that, that time with the horse that, that what you're talking about, one, is the escapism and also the healing time. Uh, and they don't, yes. they don't get that, those horsemanship skills that they did in the past. And I'm sure you have seen that through the time, because you covered the, this topic for such a long time.
2: Yes, yes. Um... It, it, it well, there seems, there seems to be a lot more competition for, say, a, you know, a child's time. Uh, you want know, combine the horse with the swimming lessons or the soccer or you know, many other things like that. A lot of the kids that I saw on the road and at the barn especially the show barns and stuff, who were kids that you know they might have a school horse or something that they could you know maybe take to a small show but they worked a lot at the barns too I really think that it's much more I think it's like you say the time spent with the horse away you know from the lessons and everything else is a huge part of it That's part of the relationship that goes on between the horse and and the the child you know I mean mean, part of it I think is that you know the horse has, has always come out of the expendable income side of things and I think there's been a lot of uh, constraints on that. It seems that, um, you know, actually the upper level of showing that uh, seems to be growing, expanding yep, yep. rather well. And
0: um, so, is the next book about horses too, or is the ne- the one that's uh, in in the hopper right now is that about horses too?
2: Well, yes. There's always no matter what I do, there always seems to be a horse standing nearby. That's that's <laughs> that's the, that's the, the thing. Um, yes, it's it's called the Littlest Racehorse, and it uh, like I said, it's a novel. But it is set in 1962, in uh, late October, uh, the week of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Which actually, that played kind of a quite a role in my life. Um, I was about ten at that time, I think, and uh, one of my characters in it is of the same age. And it's basically based on the notion that uh, of losses and gains, of course. But that was, you know, in our history, that was the point where tomorrow was no longer there. It was no longer on the schedule. You know, many people, especially young people, you know, don't know about that, or maybe they've studied in school. But it was really, truly a case of where the nuclear clock was at, at one minute midnight.
0: Yeah, Jennifer and I are 50 years old, and we certainly, you know, grew up with that too through the late 60s and the 70s when we were in school, still, you know, still, uh, d- you know, being talked to about what to do, you know, like there was anything you could do. Um,
2: That's just it. There was this crazy naivety about the whole thing that, that uh, one of my images from a kid was a dentist's office, and I wrote a short story about that years ago, but across the street there was a grocery store like a Safeway or something where they sold patio furniture and different things. And next to the patio furniture were fallout shelters that they were selling. And to me, that was kind of the...
0: Made of plastic. Yeah, well,
2: it was kind of the metaphor of the mentality at the time. Like, You know, your parents assumed you're being terrified in school by the 12-mile radius and, and this, that, and the other thing. And... Yet there was this other element where your parents were kind of like, oh, we'll just sweep up the radioactive stuff and you'll have to go to school next week. And yeah, that was exactly. kind of the mentality at the time.
0: Go out and play. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I
2: decided to base the, base the novel on on the events of that week and how it changed all these various lives and led to all these decisions of all these,
0: these, the people in it. Where can people buy the first book, Maris Foles and Ferraris?
2: Oh, pretty much. Uh, you can order it on my site at horstryonics.blogspot.com uh, or uh, really any of, the, any of the outlets. You just need the author or the title or, okay. or the ISBN number. So it's well, we'll, everywhere, like Barnes & Noble and Amazon.
0: We'll post a link to that on our Facebook page as well as our show notes over at stablescoop.com. And Andy, we thank you so much for joining us. Will you come back when the new one comes out? Certainly. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
4: Commercial feeds are fortified with nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, and minerals. They are made up of a variety of ingredients that provide a particular amount of energy. Most feeds have been designed to address the needs of a certain type of horse. It is important to understand that all feeds are formulated by nutritionists to be fed in specific amounts. When the correct amount of feed is provided, the horse consumes the appropriate amount of energy and nutrients. The feeding directions included on the feed bag or the feed tag are specific to the particular feed and should be followed. When you feed less than the recommended amount of feed, your horse is not getting the full complement of nutrients that he or she may need. On the other hand, too much of a good thing can also be bad. The overfeeding of concentrates can lead to grain overload and oversupplementation. and feed should never be cut or mixed with other fortified feeds or plain grains, because this changes the nutrient profile and can cause imbalances in energy protein, vitamins, and minerals. If you need to include additional supplements in your horse's diet, choose products that are formulated to complement, not compete with fortified feeds. If you feed a plain grain such as oats, additional fortification may be necessary. Kentucky Performance Product Supplements are specifically designed to complement, not compete with the modern concentrates used by today's horse owners. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities using stringent quality control guidelines. So choose Kentucky Performance Product Supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to them. Learn more about Kentucky Performance Product Supplements at kppusa.com. That's KPPUSA.com.
0: This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at KPPUSA.com. Well, we thank Kentucky Performance Products for their continuing support of the Stable Scoop radio show. And now it's time for Tack and Habit.
1: And at this time, we are very pleased to welcome to the show, Teresa King, the brains behind upcycledsacks.com. If you are a bag crazy person like I am, and you also think that reusing all of those thousands of feed sacks sitting around the barn is a great idea, you're going to want to listen in to what Teresa King is up to. And welcome to the show, Teresa. How are you today? I've been great. Thank you. Well, um, as we had mentioned earlier, one of our listeners, Colleen, had turned you on to us here at Stable Scoop. And I want to start out with Teresa King pre-upcycled bags, because your journey to get to recycled bags all by itself is an interesting story.
3: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, where would you like me to start?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you were an executive and, you know, you worked in Washington, D.C. for a while. and uh, you, But you were Series 7 Investment Banking, which which I did, by the way, for, for a number Explain of years. Explain to
1: everybody else in the world what the heck a Series 7 Banking blah, blah, blah is. It's high stress, <laughs> well, I, it's high, right?
3: Well, I used to work for some boutique investment banking firms, and I did very early stage capital raising. So before companies were, um, most of the time before they were profitable, but they needed to get to the next level, they would come to us, we would help them tweak their plan. Um, And take them out mostly to venture investors, although we did do and to venture capital. Although we did do some private investors as well. We to talk to this
1: lady. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Very profitable. That's us.
0: (laughs) You mean we're supposed to make money in business? See, that's the part we keep forgetting.
3: Hey, I'm making bags. Yeah. That's
0: true. <laughs> and raising chickens. Um.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, so yeah, that's what I used to do. And um and I was also playing polo and I guess when nine eleven hit and um and really it was so incredibly impossible for any investors to get out of their in their current investments. So early stage investments were just not happening so um i just decided to take a little sabbatical and i um traveled around the world playing some polo and um ended up buying a little piece of property in aiken south carolina now and you, um so I, I,
0: and you got go into ahead. polo i was just uh to talk about that for a minute i mean you got to, into polo and it sounds like uh, really semi-professionally for a while um you got into that when there aren't a, a whole lot of women in it at that level
3: no, no, there's not. There, there are a lot more now, yeah, which is but, so great. Yeah. Um, but there weren't as many when I first started. I started to play in 1992, and there really weren't that many. Um, but it's it's an incredibly fun sport. Um, really, the most adrenaline rush I've ever had in my life. The best thing I've ever done on a horse.
0: <laughs> we did an Equestrian Legends episode with Sonny Hale, Um
3: Oh, she's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we did it with her because when I asked around the polo world, who's the woman that, you know, truly pioneered uh, women in polo and really took it to the next level, Sunny Hale was the one that kept coming up.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a phenomenal player and a really amazing person.
0: So you played polo for a number of years, and and what fun is that? I mean, how cool is that? Talk about getting to see some neat places in the world.
3: Oh my goodness, yeah. I got invited to play in India a couple of times, and um, it was an invitation from the Maharani of Jaipur, who was best friends with Jackie Kennedy, and she came to all of our games and took pictures with us, and and we were pretty much treated like royalty and got to play elephant polo. Um, I got MVP of elephant polo, which was the coolest thing in the world.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) You're going to have to have one long stick.
3: Yes, it was a very long stick. <laughs>
4: <Jeez>.
3: <laughs> and they actually make the elephant get down on its knees and lay down um, so that you can get on. And you have a driver. It's, it's way too much fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I've been very lucky in my life.
4: <laughs>
1: driver. Oh, my gosh. So there's a driver <laughs> you and have then a you're, driver.
0: You're, you're whacking the ball?
3: Yeah, I I might have gotten MVP because I slipped my driver some rupees. But I'm not sure. I
0: don't know. No alcohol involved in that game, is there? Oh,
1: no. (laughs) So so you you got tired of the rat race. You decided to run away and join the circus by way of playing polo around the world. And um, you exhausted yourself and decided it was time to settle down a little bit. You land in Aiken. How do you go from polo world traveler to uh, chicken farmer and upcycled bags?
3: <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things. I, I just kind of started nesting in my, at my farm and, um, and decided I wanted to get a few chickens. And That's where it, starts. Um, it, it starts with get a few chickens. Yeah, let's just yeah. get a
0: few chickens.
3: Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. I, I built a little A-frame coop and then I built a bigger A-frame coop so big I couldn't even move it around um, because the idea was to build an A-frame that you could move around. And um, then I ended up buying a big um, 10 by 20 building and dividing it up into sections and putting a picket fence. I mean, this has it's gone a little bit Your crazy. Your chicken coop there,
0: has chandeliers. <laughs>
3: yes it does there's nothing ex- <laughs> eccentric about fun. that is,
0: nothing eccentric about that is there Teresa
3: <laughs> I did make it to the cover of the Aiken Standard for my chandeliers which I was very excited about
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're every chicken farmer's dream you know it's funny we c- came up on the show the one day there is a very and, uh, Jennifer I don't remember the name of it. it's on Vlog Talk Radio and you probably know it, it there's a very popular podcast about chickens um
1: Oh, I I think it's called the Chicken Podcast. No, it's the Chicken
0: Whisperer. That's it. It's called the Chicken Whisperer, and it's one of the most popular podcasts out there. Is the he has tens of thousands of people that listen to him. Um, He's the Chicken Whisperer. Yeah, you have to check that out.
3: (laughs) Yeah, chicken backyard chickens has become quite a phenomenon.
0: Well, you didn't stop there, though, did you?
3: No, well, you know, once you get that sort of hatching craze, then you just want to see what else you can hatch. So I tried turkeys, and that worked out really well, and I hatched some peacocks. That worked out okay, but I've recently gotten out of the peacocks. They became a little too much, too problematic. Um, and I'm doing ducks now. I had some ducks hatch yesterday, in fact.
0: Our peacocks, did you find that we had some neighbors out of peacocks, and uh, did you find it's just annoying?
3: No, they weren't really... Um, my main problem with them was they were getting on my cars, and um, I kind of like everything just so, and I really don't want them scratched up, so I mm-hmm. had to. That was getting to be a problem, and then feeding time was a problem because uh, the peacocks would take my dog Selma's food. So I'd have to chase them away. So I'd put some food down for them so they could eat and Thelma could eat. But then if Flower, my pig, finished first, she would go take the peacocks food and then they would go back to Thelma. It just became a real problem at feeding <laughs> <laughs> Pe-
1: peacocks take over the farm. That's it. They just Yeah.
0: They're all what consumed. was sad is her dog was a pit bull and wouldn't take yeah. the <laughs> No, just My poor dog
3: up. would just stand there and be like, oh, you can have it. I'll get more tomorrow. Yeah, am
0: not taking that peacock on. He's nasty. <laughs> Alright, so how did upcycled sacks, And what is upcycled anyway?
3: Well, upcycled is a process of taking something that um, would otherwise be thrown away and turning it into a useful item. Okay. Um, it's It's not a very well-known term, but it's starting to catch on a lot more. And, um, upcycle I, I had seen a bag that a friend of mine had shown me. Um, it was kind of elementary compared to what I'm doing now. And, um, but it was really interesting and it just stuck in the back of my mind because I've shown my whole life and I, and I love creative ideas. And so I had a couple of extra feed bags sitting around, and I just started playing around with them. And I showed them to a few people, and it's just sort of gone crazy from there. Um, People seem to really like them, and it's a great way to recycle. And I try to use fabrics from, like I'll go to the um, SPCA thrift store or Goodwill, and I try to use fabric that's recycled. Um, draperies and sheets and those kinds of things for the insides of the bags and um, I'm trying to use 100% of recycled materials um, when I can and it's just been a really fun venture. I started out with the tote bags and I'm lining them with fabric and burlap and then I've made some wine bags that have gone over really well especially in Aiken.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I bet Um, you. (laughs) For folks who are not familiar with how these look, look, because as you alluded to, I have seen other um, people, they'll take an empty feed sack, which is made of this plastic tarp-like material, and they will sew it together into a containment device. Upcycled sacks are not that. You take very specific feed bags and you make them into a containment device with a handle. Messenger bag, pocketbook, purse, but you strategically design them so that the graphics and the artwork that are on the bags is highlighted in the finished product. And you don't just use horse feed sacks. You have one here that you make from a um, a bag that previously held pig chow. I like the, the, pig the pig bag. Ch- I did On the, like pig the pig chow bag. bag. Yeah. There's a picture, a picture <laughs> of the pig of course, an adorable It's perfect for going to the market. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's freaking adorable. Oh, thank
3: you. Thank you. And I think it's, it's all about how you cut the bags out and making them fun and um and interesting and, and really just taking something that you would have thrown away and making something really fun and cute out of it that you can use.
0: So the sack part, the bag part, uh, the feed bag part is on the outside, and then you line them all so we're not getting sticky mess inside.
3: Right. I mean, the bags are all cleaned out before I sew them. So there's nothing icky inside them. But I just think it brings a more finished touch to the product when they've got a really pretty lining and a pocket inside. And I've just started working on a drawstring tote, Um, In fact, I made one yesterday out of, yeah, great, thanks. Because, you know, sometimes your bag falls over, and all your stuff falls out, and it drives you crazy. So I thought, well, instead of doing a zipper, which would be getting away from my recycled idea, I wanted to do a drawstring. So I took a piece of blue baling twine yesterday, and I did use a little um, clasp, barrel clasp closure. Um, But I made a whole top that has a drawstring so that you can use the bag, and if it falls over... You
1: don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I chuck. So my, that's another know. one of my ideas. Yeah. yeah, and and you line them with lovely fabrics. There's gingham, and there's some that are lined with beautiful burlap. So even though it's recycled, the they're beautiful. You must have quite an inventory to draw upon because you're using all recycled. <laughs> you you don't just zip down to Joanne Fabrics and go. You know, I need a green gingham to go with this sow and pig chow bag. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I've taken over two of my stalls. Have all my cool bags that people are dropping off, and I'm picking up to recycle. So they're in two of uh, two full stalls. One's all animals. One's all horses. So I'm having wow. a great time.
1: Now, are the are the folks at Purina and Nutrena <laughs> and Seminole and Penfield? Are they giving you a kickback? Because they should be. <laughs> I wish. I wish. That's funny. That
3: everyone always asks me are they upset that I'm using the bags? And I talked to an attorney and, um, and there's no copyright infringement on, on what I'm doing. They should be
0: thrilled. I I mean, basically they're getting free advertising. I mean, (laughs) they should be thrilled. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, what do these run? I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at uh, which one the universal totes, which would be great for going to the market, and, or you know, if you're going to the farmers market and you can put your vegetables in them and stuff. So that's that kind of tote. Um, those run about thirty-seven bucks. And so, you know, what price range do you have for the different ones?
3: Yeah, those are thirty-seven, and then the smaller totes. Um I'm working on one now that's a bird seed bag that's just as cute as it can be with pink dam fabric. Um so that's about the same size as the pig bag. Those run 27. Um, the purses are 35, wine bags are 17, um, and the messengers which take forever in a day but they're just so cool and fun are 57.
0: Yeah, they look like they they'd be more work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they get no, they're
1: have have a lot of a work. Laptop but... in are they not?
3: Yes, they are. They are. And I've been selling them to a lot of um, the horsey realtors in town have been buying them from me. And um, I think I've got a craze going. (laughs) Well, now,
0: I got to tell you, Jennifer has been pining over these since we first found out about them. She's been pining over them, but she doesn't want an autographed one by any of those. You can get them autographed, too. But, you know, Boyd Martin and Philip Dunn, we talk to them all the time. Um, She wants one autographed by you. So,
1: oh, wow. Hey, I'm all over that. I want (laughs) it autographed by the artist so someday I can be on Antiques Roadshow. That's right.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. And they can say, oh, you know, this is one of those bags. That lady lived in Aiken, South Carolina, a hundred years ago. And and uh, her name was Teresa King. And she put out all these. Not many survived because they were such fragile material. And that not many of them lasted a hundred years. And it's now worth $3,500. Yeah. See, did I do good? <laughs>
3: perfect I think she had a pig named flower
0: yeah that's right <laughs> and some chickens <laughs> and she had a chicken house with the chandeliers she was an eccentric woman
1: she
3: was an eccentric artist that's right that's, right. that's funny
0: well where can people find UpcycledSax dot is com, right?
3: That's it. That's it. And I'm also on Facebook with, and the name is the same, Upcycletext.com.
0: Now they truly can get some autographed ones too. I was just joking about that from from different people. What do you stalk them at shows and just have them sign a whole bunch of bags?
3: Oh, I can't give out my secrets of how uh, I get the autograph. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know we have a, a lot of Olympic um, athletes that uh, winter here in yeah. Aiken and also live here, so. I've been lucky to be able to um, to get some great autographs.
0: Yeah, and one of those, by the way, for all of the fans of polo, and even if you're not, you've seen his picture is uh, Brandon Phillips, um, who is one of the hotties in polo. So, um, if you want one of the hottie signatures, I guess you can get one of those too. I don't know how you yes,
3: know him. We absolutely.
0: won't ask. But right now, half the uh, female population is very jealous. I'm just saying. <laughs> upcycledsax.com thank you so much thank you guys well we want to thank Colleen Peachy our listener who sent us that suggestion if you have uh, some unique different unusual products that you're aware of or that you use every day and you want to let the rest of the world know about them just drop us an email here glenn at horseradionetwork.com glenn with two N's and we will be sure to get them on the line Well, that's about it for this week, everybody. Again, we're saying prayers for everybody out there in the Midwest. Be safe again today because there are more storms predicted. Um, and if you want to see any of the show notes from today's show with the links to all of our guests or any past guests that we've had on the show, just go to StableScoop.com. One thing we don't talk about a lot is there is a search function on there. If you uh, want to go back and listen to a previous episode or, and you know the name of the guest or you want to see if we had a certain guest on the show or search for a topic, then just use the search function. It works really well and it'll bring up all the episodes that we had about that person or, or topic. And uh, you also can find us on Facebook. Just search for Stable Scoop on Facebook. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Horse Radio. We want to thank our sponsors today, Horse Quencher and Kentucky Performance Products, for being part of the show. And you can visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com, including, this is the point where you put in a plug for your own show.
1: Oh, Horse Tip Daily, available daily at horsetipdaily.com.
0: Yes. Terrific show. Um, what, almost 800 episodes now yeah. of Horse Tip Daily.
1: It's, it's perfect for people with a short attention span. That's right. Short shows,
0: 5-10 minutes, all kinds of good tips from anything in the horse world from what ha- must be a couple hundred experts now. Yep. So, yeah. So just uh, join Jennifer over there, horsetipdaily.com. Helena will be back next week. Thank you all for joining us, and as Helena would say, she says happy scoop. Oh, happy scooping! (music) ¶¶